The last of the great human freedoms is the ability to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance. And I can extract myself from the suffering because my attitude can trump my ego's frustration about the situation if I lock in power of my mind to choose differently. I'm gonna master this thing called teaching and I'm gonna do whatever it takes, I'm gonna travel whatever distance, I'm gonna pay whatever price to give my service of love across this planet. And I'm not gonna let any human being on the face of this planet stop me, not even myself. And genius is available in all of us in the area of our highest value when we care enough intrinsically to be inspired to go after solving those problems. It's, it's waiting for all of us to do that. We can expand our awareness, consciousness, to expand who we are as beings into this new human being that we're becoming. It's the tension and the contrast that actually helps to push us through to the next level of evolution. Our cells have consciousness and so does the bacteria. So we can also tune into our bodies and, and work with our bodies more knowing that and appreciating these billions of points of consciousness. Now when that change takes place, the momentum that's created in our life from that moment on is monumental insights, the wisdom, the guidance, the direction, the spontaneous goodness, serendipity, coincidence, things start to work together for good because we're now in a flow of our personal mind, but we're in the flow of the mind of God. Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast. This is a show entirely devoted to the exploration of physical vitality, emotional well-being, and mental fitness. I'm your host and tour guide, Ronnie Landis. I'm a multiple published author, international speaker, performance health coach, global activist, and wellnesspreneur. So buckle your seat, get ready to take notes, and enjoy the ride. It's go time. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to share a very unique opportunity to be part of an incredible community and project I have launched called the Holistic Sovereignty Inner Circle. This is my new digital community platform that my team and I have created to provide an online educational portal to empower students to take their health, their lifestyle goals, their entrepreneurial endeavors, and their overall lives to the next level. This is really the dream platform that I've been wanting to create for years that provides students with a sensor-free digital community group access to bi-weekly coaching calls led by me, as well as other guest experts, access to my private digital research archive on everything under the sun, and even opportunities to receive one-on-one mentorship by me. If you enjoyed the content I create through these podcasts, then you will love being part of my private inner circle membership platform, and the benefits you receive will be invaluable to say the least. You can find out more information by going to www.ronnieinnercircle.com. That's www.ronnieinnercircle.com and discover if this opportunity is a perfect fit for you. Again, the website is www.ronnieinnercircle.com. Now, on with the show. Greetings and aloha, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Holistic Human Optimization Show. I'm your host, Ronnie Landis. 
And we are in the conclusion zone of season four on longevity strategies. Today's episode is going to be focused on something that I call hormone mastery. And hormones are one of the most vast, one of the most well-documented, and also one of the most complicated series of topics when it comes to health, when it comes to longevity, when it comes to diseases, um, and hormone-related, hormone-driven forms of disease, when it comes to the overall vitality, harmony, and the mobility of the human body, the human being. Um, hormones affect everything. They affect absolutely everything. I became very fascinated with the subject of hormones um, maybe six or seven years ago. And before we get into this, I want to credit a few people for really helping to open my eyes to the importance of hormones, to helping me to get a real, legitimate, and very diverse education on hormones. Um, one of those individuals, I've mentioned his name a number of times, and I really have to give him credit for a lot of different things that I now have integrated into my body of work and I present out into the world. Uh, David Avocado Wolf. This individual many years ago had synthesized an entire composium of all the literature, all the peer-reviewed medical documentation, all the effective natural strategies, and also some of the the quote-unquote non-natural therapies that had validity, that do have validity in certain contexts, certain situations, and really simplified this whole subject. And it was my first really big, big introduction into what I would say more of the complete body of work when it comes to hormones. Before that, this was a very complicated subject for me to understand. I understood the basic principles. Hormones are the master switches of all met metabolic functions. They're the chemical messengers for all cellular activity, for all aspects of our DNA, um, for our detoxification pathways, for neurological health, for cardiovascular health, as we're going to discover, and ultimately for all things revolving around um, youth, youthening. In fact, the hormones that we want to focus on today are actually called euthening hormones. We might think of those as androgenic hormones, androgen hormones. Um, we're going to get into all that, but at first I want to give credit where credit is due. David put together a book called The Longevity now program, which has been um, very synthesized. It's been very distilled and simplified over the years. An incredible book that really just simplifies everything for you and the practical strategies, what you can do. We're going to talk a lot about that as well. But if you want a reference, I would definitely say his Longevity Now book is amazing. I also created a chapter building on that foundation and applying some other unique um, perspectives in my book, The Inner Alchemy Youthening Program. One of the reasons I called it the youthening program was because I included this entire conversation of hormones into it. And then there's also a lot of other incredible researchers out there from many different angles, many different fields, from the clinical field, the um, physicians, naturopathic doctors, um, 
you know, endocrinologists, which is um, people that specialize in the endocrine system. And of course, the endocrine system is the hormonal switching station. It's our hormonal system of the body, just like the immune system, which we talked about, is the governing agency of all of our immunological functions. And uh, there was also an, uh, an individual by the, no- the name of Dr. John Lee, who really is the person who bore out or who created the buzz around hormones, particularly around the subject of menopause, perimenopause. And we're going to talk a little bit about him and his work as well as we advance through this conversation. I have to say out of all of the episodes that we have done so far, and we have done a lot, and we have gone extremely deep into so many different directions, this one was um, the most challenging to consolidate. There's so much information to talk about. And my intention with this episode is not so much to firehose you with an unbelievable amount of information because there is an unbelievable amount of information when it comes to hormones. My intention is to give you the broad strokes, to give you very detailed, specific information into specific areas that I think are of the utmost importance and give you a bit of education on the full spectrum of this whole hormonal conversation and also to provide Maybe some unique insights, some unique perspectives that you may not have had or other people may not be presenting. So I want to present a holistic and integrative conversation for all of you. And I am going to navigate through all this information. This is easily the most detailed um, topic that I am presenting so far. So uh, I just have to get really present with all of the information that I want to I want to bear out to all of you. Um, and we're just going to navigate it together. So with that said, you know, let's talk about hormones. What are hormones and where do we want to start with this conversation? As I said, hormones are the master switches of metabolism. They are the master chemical signaling agents, the chemical signaling compounds that really communicate with the system holistically as a symphony, essentially. Hormones are based on overall ratio. They're not based on individual hormones where you're trying to upregulate, say, your testosterone or your estrogen or some other types of hormones that we're going to talk in detail about, or even to downregulate those individuated hormones. Hormones are based on overall ratio. They're based on a harmonic symphony. Think of an orchestra with many moving parts, all attempting to play in rhythm, in synergy with one another. That's the best way to understand how hormones work in the body. They work as a symphony. And you have certain hormones that are like conductors. You have certain hormones that are like the main stage singer, like the opera singer. And then you have supportive hormones in other compounds that are like the backstage singer. You have the backup singer and you have the entire orchestra as a whole. And you have a conductor that is conducting the symphony, keeping it in rhythm, keeping it in synchronous or yeah, synchronicity is a good way of saying it, keeping it in synergy. That's kind of the picture that I want to give you when you think of hormones and why it's not just about doing 
let's say HRT, hormone replacement therapy, doing an HRT of some kind of estrogen or even progesterone or hormone replacement therapy for men with testosterone, which is still very much a common practice. We're going to talk a little bit about that when it comes to the difference between bioidentical hormones and synthetic hormone replacement therapy. Um, But ultimately, the idea here that we want to lead with is that you have a diversity of hormones and some of those hormones are going to be the lead stage performers. So when we think of that, we might think of something like testosterone for men. For women, we might think of something like progesterone or even pregnenolone, which we'll talk about, and even estrogens, particular types of estrogens, by the way, there's three dominant estrogens. We're going to define those. We're going to go through all those. And then you have the conductor. You have the individual that is conducting the flow, the rhythm, the synergy, the harmony. And if all of our hormones are operating based on their unique role and they're in flow in synergy with one another, i.e. they're in the proper ratio, then we're going to have vital health. We're going to have vital energy. But if one hormone is trying to, let's say, for example, you have a hormone that is best designed as the backup singer, but it's trying to muscle its way to the front stage and trying to be the lead performer, that's when we're going to have problems. That's when there's going to be an issue in the whole symphony. So everything has to be in harmony. So hopefully that that idea makes sense. It's the best way for me to simplify um, this whole idea around hormones. And uh, let me just uh, take a look at my notes here. How do I want to lead in? Well, the best way to lead in is this. Let's actually get into something that really is at the crux of all this. It's something called estrogen dominance. Ultimately, this entire conversation is going to lead back to this one thing, which is estrogen dominance. So let's talk about that for a second. The term estrogen dominance has become a household phrase which affects the population at large. The research that has been uncovered and refined over the last few decades is staggering. At the root of all metabolic dysfunctions, there appears to be a hormonal disharmony which tends to exacerbate estrogen and estrogen derivatives such as estrone, estriol and estradiol. Those are the three predominant estrogens. We'll talk about those um, in a moment. When these compounds become dominant hormones in the body, they can be considered what's called toxic estrogens. This would also include the participation of xenoestrogens or synthetic estrogen mimicking compounds such as plastic byproducts and various chemicals in our environment. So that is just a very quick, basic explanation to start us off in this conversation. Estrogen dominance. This is uh, this is a term that I want everybody to really become familiar with. Ultimately, what we're seeing in our world from many different perspectives is an overabundance, an upregulation, and an exacerbation of what are now termed toxic estrogen metabolites, toxic estrogens, which when imbalanced out of ratio with the other hormones, they can create a cascade of issues. 
And we are, as we go deeper into those estrogens, this will start to make a little more sense if you're not familiar with all this information. One thing that I think is very interesting that I want to make sure that I make a mention of is that in your entire metabolism, your hormonal system, you have a subset within your gut microbiome. Remember, we talked about the gut-brain connection, the gut microbiome and previous issues. Your gut microbiome is not just about digestion. It's not just about immunological function. It also has a lot to do with our hormone production. There is an interesting body of research, and one of the and, and now that I mentioned this, I have to give credit to another amazing educator by the name of Dr. Sarah Gottfried, who I heard her speak at the original longevity conference, maybe six years ago, which was also another eye-opening kind of thing that I got from this whole subject. And what she brought up in one of her presentations, which I've thoroughly researched at this point, is something called the estrobolome. So the estrobolome is the subset of the gut microbiome that deals with estrogen metabolism. So this is another interesting perspective when it comes to the conversation around fermented foods, probiotics, prebiotics, taking care of our gut Biosis. Remember, if you have something called a dysbiosis, you have an imbalance of friendly and non-friendly or invasive opportunistic organisms that we call bacteria, fungi, i.e. candida, viruses, parasites, mold, yeast, fungus, black mold all that kind of thing, infectious organisms, that significantly affects hormone metabolism. And I wanted to just mention that point. I wanted to just drop that into the bucket here um, as we move forward. So everyone's aware that what we're going to talk about, we are going to go into so many different strategies. We're going to go into so many different aspects of natural foods, tonic herbs, um, supplement ideas that you can use to create hormonal harmony. But we cannot forget about the gut microbiome and the role that it plays in this whole scenario. So with that said, let's talk about the three definitive ways that are, are uh, well, that estrogen dominance becomes a problem. The first one and the most pronounced, the most, the most well-researched, and also the most obvious is chemical estrogens. These are called estrogen-mimicking chemicals, or i.e. xenobiotics, or xenoestrogens, to be totally accurate. Xenoestrogens are chemical synthetic forms of estrogen that basically are like plastic and plastic derivatives like PCBs, phthalates, plasticizers. So plastic bottled water is the biggest culprit of this. And then it also goes into pesticides. So herbicides, rodenticides, fungicides, algicides, um, um, uh, all, all that, suicides, right? Because when you think of, by the way, this is an interesting point. I just, I just want to go on this tangent for a second. When the, when you think of the word side, any, any word that has side to it means to kill, so from an empowerment perspective, the word to decide when you make a decision means that you're creating an incision or you're killing off all options, all potential options that do not align with the decision that you are making. So if your decision is that I want to be in vital, amazing, incredible health, then you are making a decision to create an incision to, to kill off all habits, patterns, and 
all the things that do not lead to vibrant health. I want to make that point. But then we think of the word homicide. We think of the word suicide. Then you think of pesticides. Pesticide is a word used to categorize all the different chemicals, like chemical fertilizer and all the things that I just mentioned, all the different killing agents used by chemical agriculture. And then you also have to throw in Monsanto's genetically modified Roundup spray with glyphosate in it. Um, Glyphosate doesn't have side in it, but it is the most powerful killing agent that maybe has ever been formulated in a laboratory that's being used in conventional agriculture. So xenoestrogens, basically what they do is they get into our body, they plug up our metabolism, they plug up the estrogen receptor sites, and they basically crank on, they crank out certain, or they push the buttons in the receptor sites that cause the body to hyperproduce steroidal forms of estrogen similar to growth hormones you know when you're a girl and you or if you are a girl I should say um and you are in that pubescent stage and you have those growth hormones kicking in that is the stage that you want the steroidal form of estrogen kicking on but if you're a woman in your 50s or 60s and you have certain types of steroidal estrogen kicking on in your system that is a clear route towards cancer, um, cancer driven or hormonally driven cancers like breast cancer. Um, and we are going to get into that as well. So that's one of the things, chemical estrogens. The next thing is metabolic estrogens, which is basically just a natural byproduct of metabolism. So through the metabolic processing, when you eat food, for example, there is waste products. So from a detoxification perspective, one of the things that's been figured out about longevity is that even if somebody eats the best living food, superfood, plant-based diet in the world, they're drinking the best water in the world, they have the best lifestyle ever, there is going to be some kind of expiration date um, on that person's biological life cycle. One of the reasons, maybe the biggest reason for this is the metabolic byproducts that are essentially waste products that come out from our, you know, by just processing food, digesting food. There, we have to eliminate the byproducts that come from that. Well, through our hormonal system as well, there are there are hormonal byproducts that happen through metabolism too. So that can also accumulate estrogens in the body. And this leads us to the third thing which is our detoxification pathways, specifically the liver in particular. Um, So detoxification is a huge aspect of hormone health, especially when you factor in the chemical estrogens that we're being exposed to each and every day. And then that also plays into the metabolic um, hormonal perspective that I just shared with you. So I want to share... That concept as we lead through, there's a couple other ideas that I just want to put onto the stage here, and we're just setting up the conversation. I'm getting certain things out of the way so we can go deep into the kind of the nooks and crannies of this conversation, ultimately get into what is the solution? What can we do to protect ourselves from these issues that are basically present for every single person in the world at this point? 
So let's talk about something called methylation. You've probably heard about methylation some way, somehow. This has to do with liver metabolism. And uh, um, basically what methylation is, just very simply put, because this actually could get really deep just on this topic. I'm going to try to simplify this very quickly for you. But it's a critical, critical component of hormone health and detoxification as a whole. Basically, what methylation is, is it's applying a carbon molecule to a couple hydrogen molecules together. And methylation is a critical metabolic process that switches certain genes on and certain genes off. It repairs DNA function and plays a significant role in the functionality of our detoxification pathways, right? Now, I want to I mention something else that is becoming kind of epidemic Um, But before we get to that, let me just finish off this point. When it comes to methylation, it's been estimated that 49% of the population has methylation trouble. That may be more. It may be more than that. But from one of the statistics I I read recently, at least 49% of the population has methylation trouble. And this has to do primarily with liver function. So if somebody has what's called a fatty liver disease, they have a congested liver um, then they're going to have trouble processing the hormone synthesis that is necessary and it actually goes through the liver. We're going to, and again, we're going to talk more about this in detail as we make our way through the first phase of this. And the methylation process has to do with something called the cytochrome P450 process. This also has to do with phase one, phase two, and what's also called phase three detoxification. Uh, We talked a little bit about that in our talk on cleansing and detoxification, so I won't hammer that point too much. But that leads us into an important point that I want to make for everybody. Um, when we look at the statistics, whether it's 49% of the population or more, that's, that's basically half the population. When you do the math, that's basically half the population has methylation problems. One of the biggest issues that has been coming onto the scene and it's become more prevalent is something called the MTHFR um, genetic mutation. This is the methyl, the methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase enzyme. And basically this is a genetic mutation where the, that enzyme in particular, the MTHFR enzyme, its role is to turn folate and folic acid, which is otherwise known as vitamin B9 into the active form with is which is methylfolate. This allows for what's called methylcobalamin, right? The methylated version of vitamin B12, not cyanocobalamin, but methylcobalamin. Just I'm just driving that so we get the point here, which is vitamin B12, the active form of vitamin B12 to become fully activated, and in this process is necessary for the reduction of what's called a renegade amino acid called homocysteine. And homocysteine is now the number one biomarker alongside something else, something else called C-reactive protein for cardiovascular disease. So let me, let me just kind of say that again. Homocysteine, which is a renegade amino acid, is the number one biomarker for cardiovascular disease. 
Now, if somebody has the MTHFR gene mutation, by the way, everybody has this in their body. We all have this enzyme. We all have this part of our genetic pool. But some people have trouble um, methylating because they have a genetic mutation. I'm not going to go into all the, the details on that. You can look into it. It's, you know, it's very well researched. I'm just giving you the cliff notes here. But it's a genetic mutation where essentially somebody cannot methylate properly. And one of the ways that this shows up very pronouncedly is that they can't take in sulfur-rich foods or sulfur-bearing amino acids very well. And methionine, which is a sulfur-bearing amino acid, is a huge part of the methylfolate metabolic process and activating vitamin B12 and ultimately reducing homocysteine. So the elevation of homocysteine, again, being a primary biomarker of cardiovascular disease, heart attacks, and all that kind of thing, um, it has a methionine problem. And so there, there's a metabolic problem there, essentially, because of this gene mutation. And people that have this gene mutation have to really get on an elimination type of diet. They have to be very restrictive. They're not able to properly metabolize sulfur, and sulfur is critical for liver metabolism, particularly something called methyl sulfonyl methane. See what I said right there, methyl sulfonylmethane, which is, of course, the oxidized version of DMSO. It's a popular supplement I've talked about before, and it's one of the most incredible supplements in the world. And people with this gene mutation have trouble metabolizing sulfur. Therefore, they're not able to take advantage of this, and it leads to liver, me liver metabolism issues as well as many other cardiovascular, obviously, as we're pointing out. And I want to make that point. This is a very important conversation. We're not going to go too much deeper into it simply because the focus of this conversation is a little more vast. Um, and it's something if somebody does have that gene mutation or they do have sulfur me metabolism issues or they have chronic liver stagnation, it's definitely something to look into. Okay, very important. Now, talking about the liver, I want to also talk about a few things that could be helpful. Now, energetically speaking, the liver is the organ that houses certain emotions from a Chinese medicine perspective, particularly anger. So if someone is hyper irritable, they, they get easily triggered, um, they, they're quick to anger, quick to reactivity. What that usually means is that they have excess heating in the system and their liver is basically toxic from a physical perspective. From a metaphysical perspective, it might mean that they have anger towards their father because your liver is your father, your heart is your mother, Right. So just I'm just going to make that point and let it land for whoever it lands for. If we have heart issues, a lot of times the emotions associated with that are associated with issues with our mother. And then the liver, again, is associated with our father or the capital, the father, if you catch my drift. And so that can lead to emotional outbursts. This is why when people do liver gallbladder cleansing, they have to start gentle because excessive detoxing too quick of the liver can lead to emotional outbursts. Um, you have to cool and calm the liver essentially. So you need cooling foods and cooling juices, green vegetable juices, raw foods 
to help cool the energy from the body so it doesn't excessively heat up and we can create some kind of emotional temperance, which as we've talked about in many prior episodes, our emotional and psychological state has a a humongous focus and part to play in all functions of the body and definitely a huge part to play in our pursuit of hormonal harmony. Okay, so moving forward, there's something I want to talk about, which is um, something that has been coming to light. It definitely came to light for me when I started getting into this topic. And there's two terms. One of the terms is widely known. Pretty much everyone knows about this, which is called menopause and different stages of menopause, premenopausal issues, perimenopausal issues, postmenopausal issues, ultimately menopause as – As a single term, everyone knows about this. Obviously, every woman knows about this. There is a lot of misinformation, not on the the, the principles of menopause, but on the practical lifestyle and dietary applications for people that are in, whether it's it's perimenopause, postmenopause, premenopausal stages, whatever the case is, that could get a little complicated. But ultimately, let's just say menopause. There's a lot of information out there that says that at a particular age in a woman's life cycle, she is going to have menopausal issues. Now, I found that this just is not necessarily true. However, because of the onslaught of xenoestrogens and hormonally related issues, processed food diets, excessive animal food diets, one of the things going on with processed animal foods diets, you know, CAFO farms, factory farm animals is that they're very estrogenic dominant and those animals are actually getting hormonal replacement therapy they're loaded up with xenoestrogens their their microbiome is completely shot they're getting fed antibiotics all the time it's just a crazy situation and i would say when you look at all the factors of our society and the lifestyle that people have led generation of generation. So the last three generations going back there for most people, most women menopause and the issues associated with it is a dominant reality. However, that is not necessarily the overall truth. I know a ton of women. I mean, so many women that do not suffer from menopausal issues And a lot of them have gotten on to living foods and superfoods and organic foods in particular baseline. Organic food at the baseline is necessary. Have gone into cleansing and detoxification and have purified their body. And they've been able to, you know, to really exceed all those those biological limitations that have been imposed upon them by the medical establishment by the so-called talking head experts out there that said you know you can't have a baby a healthy baby at 45 years old or even 50 years old and i do know women that have pulled that off and have absolutely beautiful healthy well adjusted and well developed um children you know, so I'm just pointing that out, not to get too deep into that, but just to say that um, that's not a conclusive truth. Now, why I brought that up is actually to talk about something else, which is called andropause. Now, andropause is not as well known. However, 
It is becoming more well-known, and it's basically the male equivalent to menopause. This can also be associated as the common midlife crisis. And ultimately, what andropause is, is it's a testosterogenic collapse. So it's a collapsing of what defines a male biologically, which is his testosterone. We're going to go deeper into this and really um, kind of pull back the layers of this as well. One of the things that is of great concern and has been of great concern to me for many years, which is why I got deep into the subject to begin with, is what I call the hormonal male feminization of the masculine, the over-emotional masculine, the over-feminized masculine. Now, we could point to things like, oh, feminism, oh, um, men getting in touch with their feminine side, their, their emotional side. And uh, maybe not being able to navigate their way back into balance with their masculinity, that's all well and good. However, what I found to be the case, more times than not, when a man is being overrun by his emotions, he can't be centered, he can't be solid within himself, he's not able to get it up, literally and metaphorically, he has virility issues, um, weight gain issues, stubborn weight Diabetes plays a part in this. Um, other degenerative and disease conditions play a big part in this. Foggy thinking, sleep apnea, fertility as a major symptom. Ultimately, I found that it's actually a testosterone metabolism issue and it's a hormonal dysregulation, meaning that those men tend to have more estrogen than they do testosterone. And this is a major, major problem. Um, men on average should have between 10 to 30% more testosterone than women. Now, testosterone is very important for women as well. Um, but it, it's becoming extremely imbalanced for all the reasons that we mentioned. And we're actually going to talk about what to do about it. And I found that very simply, just through simple, innocent observation and just the evidence being provided to me, and also going through my own metabolic and hormonal upgrading process, I found that when, when I advise a man to start getting on androgenic herbs, to start detoxing doing liver detoxing, to start detoxing the synthetic estrogens, the xenoestrogens, getting better night's sleep is a huge one. Not only do their testosterone levels go up, but then their frustration, their liver-associated emotional issues, emotional issues altogether actually start to dissipate. And men become more well-adjusted, they become more well-centered, and then they feel like men again. And, um, man, there's just so much that I could say on that as a man working with men, feeling very deeply empathetic towards men, a lot I could say about it, right? But we're going to keep moving forward. So andropause, very important idea. And what we want to do about that is we want to include more androgenic types of foods, herbs, potential supplements, so we can get those youthening hormones those longevity hormones back into balance.
Okay, now with all that shared, let's get into the three predominant forms of estrogen. So let's define what these are, what their role is, and um, start moving forward with our conversation because now this is where we really get into the nuts and bolts and get into the, the bulk of our conversation here. And I'm going to use certain segments of my book, the Inner Alchemy Youthening Program, to support in the defining and the explanation of some of these things. Otherwise, um, it would just be a little more challenging to go into the bulk of it. So this comes from my book, and we're going to talk about the three hormones, estrone, estradiol, and estriol. Estrone, this is the least present estrogenic hormone of the trio, yet has a strong effect when out of balance. Estrone is readily present in the ovaries, the adipose fat tissue, the testes to some degree, and also the adrenal glands. Estrone is largely a product of estrogen metabolism involving the testosterone precursor androstenedione. Some researchers believe that estrone is the main contributor behind breast cancer. Indeed, estrogenic hormones such as estrone and others can over-signal the production of cellular mutations, but I believe environmental toxicity amplifies this effect. For sure. The next one, estradiol. This is the primary estrogen hormone produced in women. This appears to be the most potent in the three, making it the most beneficial and most harmful based on ratio. Estradiol is produced in men as a metabolite of testosterone. Androgens such as testosterone or DHEA convert into estradiol as a function of estrogen metabolism. When estradiol is properly balanced among its hormone pure group, it acts as a powerful growth hormone for women. When overproduced, it is considered to be a precursor for metastatic breast cancer development. So let's simplify that real quick. Remember before, in the earlier part of this conversation, the two things that I had mentioned in the beginning, one of them is that when you have an orchestra and you have the lead singer, the lead performer, in a woman's metabolism, that would be progesterone. From an, from an estrogenic perspective, that would be estradiol through the life cycle of a woman. Estradiol is the growth hormone when a woman is in puberty, when she has all that growth hormones coming on and she's getting her period and the development of her breasts and, and reproductive organs, all that. Now, that's when you want that growth hormone to be um, occurring in the body. Now, when a woman 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, when estradiol is being um, hyper-produced, hyper-signaled, that is the leading precursor for reproductive ovarian and breast cancers. That's ultimately what the distillation of that is. Let's talk about estriol before we move on. Estriol is considered by many medical researchers to be the weakest estrogen of the three. Based on the information presented on estrogen saturation, this may be its benefit. The ratio of good to bad estrogen appear to be heavily reliant upon the presence of estriol in relation to estrone and estradiol. There is growing evidence that estriol is cardiovascular protective, where the increased production or the synthetic application of the other two. Life Extension Magazine referenced a study conducted by the U.S. Army performed at the Public Health Institute of Berkeley, California, 
which compared estriol levels during pregnancy with breast cancer incidents of 40 years after. The conclusion was that of 15,000 women, those with the highest estriol in relation to other estrogens had 58% lower risk of breast cancer compared to those with lower serum levels of estriol. The lowered potency of estriol compared to estradiol, the steroidal estrogen, gives it both anti-estrogenic effects in cases of estrogen dominance and pro-estrogenic effects such as menopausal relief in women. Okay, so that's a lot to take in, okay? So as we move forward, now that we've gotten that piece out of the way on the three predominant estrogens, we need to talk about something called aromatization. Aromatization is ultimately the carrier. It's the the transit uh, molecule, the transit metabolic process that ultimately is what converts certain hormones into other hormones. Extremely simply put, it's what can convert progesterone into certain forms of estrogen. It's what converts testosterone into certain forms of estrogen and can lead to estrogen dominance in both men and women. Okay, so aromatization is based on an enzyme called aromatase. We're gonna, let's get into that. So aromatase is the key enzyme responsible for what is known as aromatization, the biosynthesis of androgen hormones into estrogens. This is the mechanism which takes testosterone molecules and converts them into estradiol. Common factors known to increase aromatization are lifestyle, insulin behavior, anabolic steroids, birth control, food choices, particularly phytoestrogenic foods, and obesity. And diabetes is also wrapped up in that as well. Aromatase resides primarily in fat cells. When men, carry be- but, uh, when men carry belly fat, that is a clear indicator of estrogen dominance. The same can be said of women who carry extra weight along their waist, hips, arms, and belly. The aromatase conversion has long been known as a precursor for breast and ovarian cancer, leading the pharmaceutical industry to develop synthetic aromatase inhibitors. Keep that in mind. We're going to get into that. Um, which is designed to keep estrogen levels at bay. These inhibitors are also prescribed to men as a form of hormone replacement therapy for increasing testosterone production. There are a variety of natural foods and tonic herbs that are designed intelligently by nature to work as aromatase inhibitors. Synthetic hormone replacement therapy is considered extremely dangerous, unpredictable, and not recommended in most cases. So these are all, these might be totally new ideas for some of you. It may be uh, something you're, you're already researching. Aromatase inhibition is the process of inhibiting the aromatization of our what's called euthening hormones, our androgen hormones, our longevity hormones into anti-longevity hormones, particularly, as we mentioned, the steroidal estrogen, estradiol, which is a major problem for both men and women. So we're going to circle back around to that with the practical strategies on what you can do. But before we do that, we now need to talk about 
the dominant hormones. Okay, we've we've laid out a lot of uh, a lot of topics, a lot of concepts that are just very important as an education on this subject. Now we're going to talk about what are the dominant hormones in our endocrine system. Before we get to that, I need to lead in with something called the HPA axis. The HPA axis is the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal control system. And what this does is it controls our physiological stress response, either for our benefit or for our detriment. When the master glands are under pressure, they tend to overstimulate hormones and hormone precursors that can have an exhausting effect on the body. The adrenal glands bear the weight of this cycle and over time will wear out from overuse the same way the metal frame of a bike wheel will if the tires are not cared for and replaced. Um, continuing on with this, the, these three glands, the hypothalamus, the pituitary gland, and the adrenal glands, by the way, the thyroid gland, as we're going to talk about in detail, is part of that communication system. So these glands act in a positive chemical feedback loop with each other. When one is positively or negatively affected, it creates a ripple through the entire endocrine community, thus influencing weight gain or weight loss. Very, very important idea when we're talking about, hey, how do you build muscle? Has to do with your hormones. How do you lose weight? Has to do with your hormones. Endocrine activity is controlled by, to a large extent by the hypothalamus gland. This is the almond-shaped gland that rests below the thalamus responsible for regulating functions of metabolism and hormone secretions. Physiological activities such as hunger, body temperature, fatigue, and our circadian rhythms, i.e. our sleep cycles, are controlled by the hypothalamus. The pituitary gland resides in the lower middle region of the brain beneath the hypothalamus. It is often referenced as the master gland of the body, influencing all other endocrine activities. The hypothalamus gland initiates certain hormone messages in which transfers to the pituitary gland for secretion, i.e. production. An example would be the hypothalamus signaling growth hormones uh, uh, excuse me, signaling growth hormone, releasing hormone. That sounds really confusing. That's a technical term. Let's just say growth hormones for the pituitary gland to release human growth hormone, HGH. Human growth hormone is a master hormone that influences muscle development and bone density. The condition known as pituitary dwarfism is when a child receives too little growth hormone, whereas the polar extreme is known as gigantism, where one receives too much growth hormone as a child. An adult who secretes too much growth hormone is termed acromegaly. This has resulted from a tumor attached to the pituitary pressing out too much HGH. This creates an exacerbated growth feature such as deepened voice, poor eyesight over time, expanded physical features, and extreme height. It is now being theorized by scientists that Goliath from the biblical, the biblical fable of David and Goliath actually had acromegaly. Another thing that's interesting here about this too is that um, the incredible transformation and life mastery strategist 
Tony Robbins has acromegaly. He actually has, so he's a real living example of this phenomenon of gigantism, not in a super extreme way, but just in a, just in a basic modern day human example. He actually produces more growth hormone than your average person. And I would also say based on Tony Robbins, I've studied Tony Robbins since I was like 14 years old. So that's about 20 years now. And that guy has some serious longevity genetics. That guy is is a high performer by design. And I think it also has to do because of his high testosterone and high human growth hormone levels. So those are some really interesting ideas I want to share with you here. So in simplification, the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis is a communication and feedback system throughout your endocrine system. And the way that those hormones get processed or those signaling agents get processed into hormones is through the liver. So the point of all that is to circle back around to what we were talking about before with methylation and with liver cleansing, liver detoxification as a main proponent for hormone health. Now, as we move forward, let's talk about the dominant hormones. I'm going to skim through some of this. Some of it we're going to go a lot deeper into, particularly the thyroid. Um, The thyroid is absolutely of paramount importance. We're going to dive into that. So let's just get a, a rundown of the dominant hormones, particularly the androgen hormones and some of the others. We got to start with testosterone. So testosterone, what I want to talk about with testosterone really briefly here is that there's two types of testosterone. There's what's called biologically free testosterone, and then there's something called DHT. This is dihydrotestosterone. Now, what I found really fascinating many, many, many years ago when I was doing this research is that I was looking into metabolic processes for aromatization, how testosterone aromatizes into estradiol in a male metabolism. And basically what seems to be happening is that when when men get testosterone hormone panel tests, a lot of times they're going to get an inaccurate read because they're taking in the overall testosterone and they're saying, okay, this is your testosterone levels. Everything is good. You have higher or, or good testosterone. When in fact, the free testosterone, which is what you want, is actually volatile, it's unstable, and it's being aromatized into estrogen. But the reason why those tests come out inaccurate is because the DHT, the dihydrotestosterone, stays in the pathway. It stays put, in other words. It does not metabolize into estrogen. So the free testosterone, which is the biologically active testosterone, again, that's what we want in our body, predominating over um, DHT, That's what converts over, but they're basically reading DHT levels and confusing it with overall testosterone. So, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about hormone panel testing in a moment, but that's an important perspective. That was very eye opening when I found that out. And um, we're going to talk a little bit more about strategies for increasing testosterone and holding testosterone in place. 
Because if you do high testosterogenic foods and herbs, but you have an aromatization problem, you could be actually increasing the amount of estrogen in your metabolism um, because there's also another component, the natural aromatized inhibitors, aromatase inhibitors that hold the free testosterone in place. So it doesn't convert over, it stays in place. So that's an interesting perspective that I just wanted to put out there. By the way, testosterone is extremely healthy. You know, there used to be this idea that high testosterone levels were associated, and this, this is also kind of rounding out the point I just made, high testosterone levels were associated with anger, frustration, high crime rates among men, um, violent behavior, all this stuff. Now what we find out is likely the case is it's actually high estrogen levels in men that are either making men docile, infertile, um, unable to be sexually active, to have um, healthy sex lives, to reproduce, and it also can create a massive amount of frustration within men for obvious reasons and can lead to road rage, can lead to anger. Remember, the liver is the organ of the emotion of anger. So if the liver is stagnant, i.e. estrogen dominant issues, detoxification pathway issues, that is going to lead to more probability of anger, frustration, irritation, and instability within a male biology. So I hope that these ideas are starting to cross-connect. I'm just connecting the dots as best as I can for everybody right now. The next hormone is progesterone. This is the definitive euthening hormone for women. Progesterone is a female hormone important for the regulation of ovulation and menstruation. Progesterone is used to cause menstrual periods in women who have not yet reached menopause but are not having periods due to the lack of progesterone in the body. That is um, uh, an official definition of progesterone. I'm going to skip that for now because we're going to actually talk about progesterone a little bit more as we go along. The next one is pregnenolone. Pregnenolone is an endogenous steroid hormone synthesized from cholesterol. This is an important point. Cholesterol, i.e. saturated fat, is the silly putty material that your hormones are being made out of. And pregnenolone is kind of the inception point for the rest of your hormone cascade. So again, it's a steroid hormone that is synthesized from cholesterol. You need to have cholesterol in your diet. In other words, this can act either as a neuroprotective steroid or a pro-hormone for progestins, mineral corticoids, glucocorticoids, androgens, estrogens, and neuroactive steroids. So pregnenolone, which again is made from cholesterol, it's synthesized from cholesterol, is neuroprotective. It's blood sugar protective, i.e. insulin protective diabetic conditions, hypoglycemia, those things. It's hormonal protective. It's It has an effect on your mineral metabolism and obviously a precursor for progesterone as well. Um, DHEA, we're going to actually talk about that as we move forward, so I'll skip over that point right now. Let's jump into the thyroid. 
This is a very important topic to get a bit detailed about. And I'm going to use my book, The Inner Alchemy Youthening Program, to share a couple paragraphs. And then that's also going to lead us into a more spontaneous conversation about certain perspectives around the thyroid that a lot of people may not be aware of. Um, And it's potentially a complicated subject. So that's why I want to lean on my book just a little bit to explain some details um, in an effective and streamlined way. So starting with The thyroid is a butterfly-shaped endocrine gland, which is not a single gland, but more of a small baggie that contains thousands of glands. The thyroid is located in the neck below the thyroid cage, otherwise known as the Adam's apple in a man. The thyroid is often referred to as the shield hormone. Its Greek adjective is shield-shaped, referencing the thyroid cage. The primary role of thyroid physiology is the formation of T3, T4, and calcitonin. Um, Calcitonin is blood calcium reduction hormone. As mentioned above, the pituitary and hypothalamic union initiate thyroid-stimulating hormone, creating an open pathway for T3 and T4. The thyroid, specifically T3, controls the amount of oxygen each cell uses. The rate at which the body burns calories for fuel is regulated by the conversion of T3 and T4. Body temperature is directly affected by thyroid efficiency when the body's internal cooling system is offline, meaning one swings from hot to cold rapidly, it signifies thyroid instability. Moving on, a protein called thyroid binding globulin, or TBG for short, helps cart T4 and T3 throughout the body like like a taxi cab. Substances that can inhibit thyroid binding globulin from transporting thyroid hormone include birth control pills, synthetic estrogens, hormone replacement therapies, environmental toxins and radiation, iodine deficiency, and toxic minerals found in refined table salt. Another indicator of poor thyroid function is related to liver health and intestinal health, i.e. the microbiome. It's estimated that 60% of thyroid binding globulin efficacy is due to liver function and 20% is due to healthy digestive function. When one has a dysbiosis, bacterial imbalance, the body is incapable of converting T4 to T3. Beneficial bacteria form the intestinal terrain for this conversion to cross over. Okay. Wow. Well, I'm really glad that I I chose to lean on that part of my book because that is some critically important information and really helpful to understand thyroid metabolism. Um, there's a number of things that I want to point out about the thyroid and I want to talk about here. First of all, the thyroid and the adrenal glands are in a feedback system with one another. That's why the HPA axis actually has to include the thyroid as well. And I found that over the years, a lot of times when somebody has an adrenal issue, they actually have a thyroid issue as well. When somebody has a thyroid issue, they also have an adrenal issue as well. So you have to look at them both as a feedback system instead of individuating the thyroid 
apart from the adrenal glands. They both work in conjunction with one another. They're a communication system. And a thyroid symptom is indicative of an adrenal situation and vice versa. So I want to make that point as well. If you address the adrenals and the thyroid together, you're going to have much better results. Um, We talked about thyroid-stimulating hormone. The conversion of T4 to T3 through thyroid binding um, hormone, thyroid binding globulin. This is a very important thing. And one note that I want to make about this is talking about iodine. I mentioned in that excerpt that iodine deficiencies are one of the main causations for thyroid problems. Now, iodine is an entire topic in of itself. Iodine is the number one reason for um, the maldevelopment of um, what is the technical term? I think it's it's some sort of retardation of the the brain of an infant. So basically, it's the malformation or the maldevelopment of a baby because they have, because the mother has an iodine deficiency. Now we we're, we're going to go into this. I haven't brought this up in a previous episode, so I, I I would be remiss if I didn't go into this a little bit on iodine. So iodine is one of the most prevalent. Um, compounds for um, the breast. It's most concentrated in a woman's body. It's most concentrated in her breast tissue, in the thyroid gland, and also in the brain. Okay, so those are three particular areas of affinity for iodine because of things like Fukushima. There is radioactive iodine, iodine 131, 151, um, that has been spewed out into our and is in record levels. And this this is bringing me to, I'm just kind of synthesizing my thoughts, so just bear with me here. I'm pulling a lot of ideas that I wasn't thinking about getting into. Basically what iodine is, it's a halogen. It's a, it's a halogen in the periodic table of the minerals. So basically it's a gaseous type of element or mineral. And because of radiation, there are toxic minerals called radioisotopes, radioactive minerals. Iodine in particular is one of them. Now, if we have a, a iodine deficiency in the thyroid, what ends up happening is certain type of halogens, which are chlorine, are fluorine or fluoride, bromine, which is what we find in chemtrails, quote-unquote chemtrails, and also iodine. Iodine is the protector of our shield hormone being the thyroid, and our thyroid runs primarily on iodine. Now, if you have an iodine deficiency, your receptor sites are going to try to suck in anything of an equal um, an equal equivalent to the nutrient that it needs. So in this case, it's going to suck in chlorine, fluorine, or bromine, or toxic forms of iodine. And then now we see the prevalence of autoimmune, thyroid-based autoimmune conditions like Graves' disease, Hashimoto thyroiditis, all the problems that we see with, with thyroid issues – the, 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 the correlation is pretty simple, I think. Iodine protects the thyroid. And when you think of T3 and T4, I'm thinking particularly of thyroid medications, um, you know, Armour, for example, Synthroid, uh, Synthroid particularly, 
are synthetic synthroid you know excuse me on the armor thing synthroid is the the synthetic um thyroid medication which is very very addictive that's a whole nother subject but that's a, that's a, that's a very slippery slope right there when people get on synthroid for their thyroid medications um, I won't go down that rabbit hole because I, I could I could talk a bit about that. Um, but ultimately, the point of this matter is that T4 and T3 are basically iodine, right? Four iodine, three iodine molecules. So we want to make sure that we're getting enough iodine into our diet. There's different types of iodine. Now you can get certain, you can get a good amount of iodine from kelp extracts and wild seaweeds. They concentrate iodine inside of them. Kelp extract in particular, sprouts, sprout juice. The most directive way that I've used in the past and I've recommended for clients is um, concentrated iodine supplements. There's electrodyne. There's Lugol's iodine, which comes from the, the Edgar Casey lineage. And then there is nascent iodine. You can do more research. I am not making any claims. I'm not curing anything. I'm not making any recommendations. I'm just putting information out there for you to do your own research. But this is an important thing for you to look into. And for some people, they have to get, if they've been on Synthroid, they, st- they have to start transitioning into glandular desiccated pig or cow thyroid. Now, that's not a fun topic. That's not something that I enjoy recommending or talking to people about. Um, but because of the nature of the situation, if somebody needs to do that or they, they've had surgery done on their thyroid, they have a partial thyroid, then they may need the desiccated pig thyroid, the glandular, to have a fully functional thyroid. So this is, this is a deep topic, a lot more you could research into, a lot more we could talk about. Last thing I want to talk about when it comes to the thyroid is that the thyroid is the most vascularized aspect of your body, meaning that it pulls in the most amount of blood flow. And it's also the most heavily negatively charged, meaning that it attracts to itself the most amount of electrical flow or voltage out of any area of your body, which also indicates the feedback system between the thyroid and the adrenals because the adrenals are like your battery pack and that connects directly to the thyroid. So things like grounding, getting barefoot on the earth, using grounding technology that can help push off the EMFs, that can push off the dissonant frequencies that could be corrupting your thyroid function. So wanted to, to mention all that. We could go deeper, could get a lot more detailed and specific. I think that's a lot of information to take in, so you might have to go back over this. Just to finish out this whole thing on the dominant hormones, you also have human growth hormone. We talked a little bit about that, IGF, insulin-like growth hormone. You have cortisol. You have adrenaline and insulin, which these are all hormones. And we've talked before about the effects of stress, adrenaline. Adrenaline is what actually allows somebody to be bipedal, meaning to be upright. Um, instead of being on all fours like other animals. Insulin is obviously part of your blood sugar balance and um, what carts blood sugar, blood in the sugar into the receptor sites, the insulin receptor sites. And that's why insulin has a lot to do with your hormone regulation. 
Now, the last thing is vitamin D3. Vitamin D switches on more genetic triggers than any other compound ever discovered. Dr. Joseph Mercola, um, he came on record of saying, and he probably said this like 10 years ago, he was on record of saying that 95% of all cancers are preventable by having adequate vitamin D3 levels. So I'll leave it at that. By the way, vitamin D3, like pregnenolone and your other hormones, is largely a byproduct of having enough of the right kinds of fat, saturated fat, different spectrum of your omega-3s, particularly DHA and EPA and ALA, all in the right ratio, having all that into your diet. So the low-fat diet is a great way to start having hormonal collapses, especially if your metabolic type is more geared towards a fat-based metabolism. So these are all just very important things to know and to consider. Okay, so now as we make our way through the next part of our discussion here, let's talk about the difference between bioidentical hormones and hormone replacement therapy, i.e. synthetic hormones. One of the best ways to start talking about this is from the perspective of progesterone cream. That's how I want to actually open this up. And one of the things that actually got me really into this conversation was discovering the work of someone named Dr. John Lee. In the 80s, he wrote a series of books. One of them was What Your Doctor May Not Know About Menopause. He was a hormone researcher. He came to he, – he really actually discovered the whole thing around bioidentical bio hormones because he had a number of his female patients coming to him with hormone problems, menopausal issues – and um, they had tried all the different things that their doctors prescribed and nothing was really working. And he found when he gave them a certain amount and a certain kind of progesterone cream, which is a bioidentical hormone, not synthetic hormone replacement, he found that all of their stuff would normalize and all their, their issues would start to go away and come back into balance. That was very interesting to me. I started getting into the research around progesterone cream, the neuroprotective, hormonal protective, immune system protective, cardiovascular system protective aspects of it. And um, this is what I had to say about it in my Inner Alchemy book. Dr. John Lee, over a decade ago, first recognized the problematic effects of synthetic progesterone and hormone replacement therapies given to balance estrogen inflation. Natural progesterone cream is derived from naturally occurring plant steroids found in wild yams. This is not to be confused with synthetic progesterone supplements such as Provera or Medroxyprogesterone. Side effects of the synthetics are well documented, including increased risk of breast cancer, irregular menstrual flow, nausea, and increased risk of cardiovascular decline. Due to the aging process and increased estrogen saturation in our environment, the effects of menopause are occurring 10 to 20 years earlier in women where typically it occurred in their 50s. Due to this acceleration, progesterone has become depleted and or converted into estrogen before warning signs become present. Natural progesterone cream applied topically can be helpful in countering opposing estrogen accumulation, thus signaling improvements in memory, 
menstrual cycles, improved mood, tenderness of the breasts, and significantly declined risk of breast cancer. It is recommended to consult with your qualified healthcare professional in developing a personal strategy for using natural progesterone cream. Side note, wild yams and sweet potatoes are mildly androgenic and can be helpful in hormone restoration. Okay, so bioidentical hormones are defined as biologically identifiable or identical hormone compounds that are identical to your body's natural endogenous production of those particular hormones. So a bioidentical progesterone, for example, or bioidentical testosterone that comes from, let's say, pine pollen for example, is biologically available and it's biologically identical to the hormones that your body naturally produces. And it's an incredible way to help your body endogenously produce the hormones that it normally would. Um, But because of aromatization, because of xenoestrogens and uh, metabolic issues, the body is not able to do that effectively. And that's where synthetic hormone replacement therapy um, really was the the main way, pharmaceutically based, is the main way to do this. And so now we know that, um, you know, I want to make a distinction here too while I'm saying this because I remember I gave a lecture a couple of years ago on hormones and I had a hormone doctor in my audience and he pretty much agreed with everything that I shared Except he had one one issue where I was on this subject and I was talking about hormone replacement therapy not being really a, an intelligent idea for virtually any situation. And he brought to my attention – this had already been on my, my mind but he really just kind of brought this perspective that – uh, particularly for men, this is not so much for women. Women's biology – and hormone chem- chemistry is a little more complicated, but for men in particular, if a man is in his, let's say he's a UFC fighter, let's say he's an extreme athlete, he's blown out his body, he's, he's had all kinds of injuries, surgeries, he's 40, 45, he's 50, and he can't really produce the human growth hormone or the testosterone that he needs to heal and recover, um, then certain amounts for a short amount of time of hormone replacement um, testosterone can actually be very, very effective for someone in that condition. Um, if you're 60 or 70 years old, you're a man, then your endocrine system is not going to be very well equipped to produce those hormones that you need for longevity. So in certain cases, hormone replacement therapy can be helpful to initiate, to start the engine. However, we always want to go towards natural means first. And the deer antler extract, uh, particularly the Jing Herbs Company, um, they produce a type of deer antler extract that has the growth factors. It has the full spectrum amino acids. It has the testosterogenic compounds, the androgenic hormone compounds in a natural, biologically available form that is basically like natural hormone replacement therapy. And um, and it's also done ethically where the, the, the deer is not harmed. It's actually a natural process of cleaving off the tips of the antlers. It's actually, it actually helps the deer. It's actually part of the sustainability 
of the deer and the deer community on these pasture-raised farms, particularly in New Zealand. Um, I won't go too deep into that, but that is an example of where hormone replacement therapy could be effective. However, the overuse of HRT can lead to aromatization issues. That's why having aromatization in, aromatase inhibiting um, herbs and foods and knowing what those are and having those in the diet and cleaning out the liver is absolutely critical because um, testosterone can be volatile. It can be kind of unstable. And so when you're injecting somebody with these synthesized hormones, these synthetic hormones, it can create instability and lead to aromatization or other issues. That's why we go towards bioidentical hormones and we look for what are the foods, what are the supplements, what are the substances that have bioavailable identical hormones like progesterone cream coming from wild yams. And the compound in the wild yams is something called diocygen, which has bioidentical progesterone. It's a well, it's actually a progesterone precursor to be accurate, and it helps the body produce its own endogenous forms of, in this case, progesterone or whatever the, whatever the hormone is. Right, that's something I want to bring into the conversation. I want to mention another great book and a great pioneer in this field. Not as a not as a doctor or a researcher. Well, really as a researcher, but really a voice. Her name's Suzanne Summers. She was a famous actor. She wrote a book called Bombshell, and basically she was a postmenopausal breast cancer survivor. All her doctors told her that she had to get on this thing, that thing, this thing, that thing, all synthetic, all pharmaceutical all drug-based. She didn't want to go that route. She looked into the research of Dr. John Lee, and she um, started using bioidentical hormones. And then she became a great proponent and voice to the public, and she wrote a book called Bombshell, which details her whole experience and journey. So that is a little bit about the difference between bioidentical hormones, hormone replacement therapy, we could easily go deeper into that, but um, I want to move on and finish out this conversation. There's so much information that we're going over right now. So the last part of this is going to be – well, I guess I have to talk about this too. Jeez. So I'm just looking at my notes. So much stuff here. All right. Let's just go over this really briefly. Hormonally driven forms of cancer – Breast cancer, ovarian cancer, endometrial cancer, prostate cancer, reproductive and secondary sex organ-based cancers. These are all hormonally driven. Now remember, a cancer, there's many different kinds of cancers. A cancer is either due to a viral infection, a fungal infection, or a combination of a viral and fungal infection and or is hormonally driven, particularly through estrogen dominance and the aromatization process. So I want to make that point for um, context. Now, the next thing that I want to talk about is um, how to test for hormone levels. We're going to brush through this pretty quickly. Again, with all this, take what I'm sharing with you as information and education and do your own research on how to apply this information. So hormone panel tests, there's a lot of different tests. There's a capillary test, 
which is a is a um, a prick of the finger where it tests the hormones that make it through the periphery, and that seems to be the most effective way to get an accurate read on where your hormone ratios are at the time. Um, that those hormones have made it through what's called the periphery and made it through the skin basically. And that shows an accurate read of your hormones at that time. There's the saliva test, which basically gives you a ballpark read on where your hormones are at the time of the testing. It doesn't test for everything, not as accurate. And then you have just your standard blood draw test, which is reasonable, but not as accurate as the capillary test. Um, So, you know, again, with that, that's just a bit of information. You're going to have to do your own research to go a little bit deeper. Capillary test is generally what's recommended or a combination of a capillary and saliva test. Um, One thing that I want to mention for overall context here is that one of the things uh, for hormone protection is having the right metabolic appropriate diet. If you're a fast oxidizer, you're a fat dominant metabolizer, then you need to organize your diet particularly for your metabolism. If you're more of a slow oxidizer, you're a carbohydrate dominant metabolizer, you need to organize your diet for your metabolism. If you need more protein in the form of amino acids, free form amino acids are extremely helpful for um, overall balance, and and we've talked about that before in our top 10 supplements conversation, Um, and I just wanted to make that point. Um, So what I want to talk about now as we finish off this conversation is like, what can you eat? What can you do? Let's talk about anti-estrogenic foods and supplements. I'm going to try to make this as, as quick as possible, and again, do your own research. Go deeper. In my book, The Inner Alchemy Youthening Program, I go a lot deeper into the details of all these things. Um, in my program, The Holistic Health Mastery Program, I go a lot deeper into all this. So I'm just going to skim the surface for you. Um, we talked about methylation. We talked about the gene mutation that inhibits the methylation process. Ultimately, that's because of glutathione. Uh, that's all in service of what's called glutathione, which is an endogenous antioxidant, maybe the most powerful antioxidant. I talked about in the top 10 supplements um, episode in season one about a supplement called NAC, N-acetylcysteine. Now, if you have that gene mutation, NAC is not going to work very well for you. Um, Alpha lipoic acid is another one. That's not going to work very well for you because of the sulfur metabolism issue. If you don't have that, that gene mutation, NAC can be very, very powerful. Ultimately, it's a precursor for um, glutathione and it, it helps with the methylation process. There is DIM, diendylmethane, I3C, indole-3-carbonyl, and CDG, calcium D-glucarate. These are three supplements. These are also cruciferous vegetable-derived compounds. Let me share a little bit about this. It's worth talking about. Um, let's talk about indole-3-carbonyl and diendole-methane, which is DIM. 
I3C is a compound derived from cruciferous vegetables, which is known to be anti-estrogenic. Cruciferous vegetables have been studied in their relation to potentially inhibiting the cell proliferation of breast and prostate cancer. I3C is believed to be the primary compound behind this activity. When I3C is taken as a supplement, it is immediately broken down in the bloodstream as methane. DIM is sold as an isolated supplement as well and has been shown to be effective in regulating estrogen metabolism as well as inducing apoptosis in tumor cells in vitro. When supplementing individually with either I3C or DIM, it appears DIM is more effective as it is active in the bloodstream longer. Research shows that when used in combination, they have beneficial effects in estrogen metabolism. So the best supplement that I've ever come across with this particular combination is a product called EstroGuard, and it's produced by Rejuvenation Science Labs. It also is coupled with beneficial cofactors that just potentiate um, I3C and DIM. Very, very important to know about. Um, it's very well researched, very well known. You can easily do your own research on that. Um, so I want to make sure I mention that. Then we've also talked about progesterone cream. Um, I want to talk about melatonin for a second. The compound melatonin, which is part of the tryptamine chemistry and is a, is a, post, is a post chemical in the serotonin chain, and it's a precursor for DMT, dimethyltryptamine, melatonin appears to be anti-estrogenic. We know melatonin because it helps to induce sleep. Well, it appears that sleep apnea has to do with potential estrogen dominance. So it seems like it's anti-cancer and anti-sleep apnea effects, meaning that it helps you get to sleep better, helps to induce sleep, maybe because of its anti-estrogenic qualities. The best source of melatonin comes from something called tart cherry concentrate, uh, Perium actually produces the best tart cherry concentrate I've ever come across. So that is definitely worth mentioning. Now let's talk about um, anti-estrogenic foods. There's a whole list of them right here. So I'm just going to run through it. Um, we have oats, just base, basic oats, like sow your wild oats. People that eat oats seems to be associated with longevity. Um, and the, the compound in oats is... Uh, Avenus sativa, Avenus sativa is the compound, excuse me. And that seems to be the anti-estrogenic compound. Then you have zinc-rich foods. Zinc is an entire thing of itself, just like iodine. Zinc is critically important. It's testosterogenic. It's pro-testosterone. And it is also anti-estrogenic. And it's anti-aromatase or it's not anti-aromatase, but it's an aromatase inhibitor is what I mean to say. The best sources of zinc are pumpkin seeds, pumpkin seed butter, cacao beans, cacao paste. From the animal kingdom, the best source of zinc is oysters, and then also shaga mushroom. And I actually, I should correct myself, oysters is a high source of zinc, but the best source of zinc from the plant, from the animal kingdom is black ant extract, particularly the Chong Bai mountain derived 
black ants. So a company called Dragon Herbs, for example, has tinctures in powder form of concentrated black ant. For people that are vegan, you're, you're probably like, wow, that's crazy. Why would I want to take black ants? Well, it's an incredibly potent product similar to deer antler. And these are kind of an interesting line where it's like if you need testosterone, if you need hormonal support, if you need androgenic support, black ant is available. If you need it, deer antler is available. So it's something to know about. Maca root. Maca root is very hormonal. It it increases what's called luteinizing hormone in the male biology. And that also is a precursor molecule for testosterone. We already mentioned cruciferous vegetables, uh, deflatted, deflatted flaxseed, not the flaxseed oil. The flaxseed oil does not have what's called lignin fibers attached to it, so it can become potentially phytoestrogenic. You want the deflatted flaxseeds, which draws out um, estrogen metabolites and other toxins. It draws it out out of the intestinal system. Sweet potatoes, yams, Japanese sweet potato are all incredible, potentially androgenic foods. All coconut products of all kinds, saturated fat and omega-3 fatty acids like the Symbiotica um, algae-derived DHA product, for example. Then we also have citrus fruits, lemons and limes. They are not only anti-estrogenic, not only liver cleansing, but they're also aromatase inhibiting as well because lemons and limes have a compound called narogenin, which is an aromatase inhibitor. Olives, olive leaf extract, and olive oil all have a compound called oleorupine, which is anti-estrogenic, it's antifungal, and it appears to be an aromatase inhibitor as well. Let's move on. Anti-estrogenic tonic herbs. So passion flower. Passion flower is my favorite. It has a compound called chrysin. Chrysin is a very well-studied aromatase inhibitor. If you're going to do testosterogenic or even progesterogenic Um, substances, particularly for testosterone metabolism, because again, testosterone can be volatile and unstable on its own. You want to lock it in place. You want to keep it stable. So passion flower in combination with something like a deer antler, in combination with pine pollen that does have bioidentical forms of testosterone, bioavailable testosterone, the chrysin compound is what gives it the aromatase inhibiting compound or um, effect. Then chamomile tea. Chamomile has a compound called apigenin, which is an aromatase inhibitor. Um, Another thing that's worth mentioning is Japanese knotweed. Japanese knotweed, side note, is the number one herb used in conjunction with Lyme disease protocols. And it is a high source of a compound called resveratrol. Resveratrol um, is an aromatase inhibitor as well. So very, very interesting. All of this is all coming together. More options. Another herb that I want to mention is something called Tongkat Ali. I did a deep dive in my um, in the Inner Alchemy Youthening program on Tongkat Ali. It is pro-testosterone, anti-estrogenic, 
and it is an aromatase inhibitor, and it is spermogenic, meaning that it increases sperm cell count. Very important to know about. The last series of things I want to talk about, just methyl donating foods and supplements. So methylation, donating methyl groups, carbon compounds to hydrogen compounds to increase methylation. Um, one thing that I will just get into a little bit of detail before we close this out is something called TMG, trimethylglycine. So TMG is an, or, an organic betaine compound that was first discovered in sugar beets. Beets and goji berries are the two highest sources of betaine found in nature. TMG is an important cofactor in the production and biosynthesis of neurotransmitters such as dopamine, serotonin, and melatonin. These actions are facilitated by a process known as methylation. Methylation, simply put, again, is the transferring of methyl groups, carbon and three hydrogens, um, in the body. TMG is found in different tissues of the body and plays an important role in homocysteine um, metabolism. Homocysteine, again, as we mentioned before, is a renegade amino acid that is used as a signaling biomarker for heart disease risk and even Alzheimer's disease. TMG is reported to donate methyl groups to the homocysteine amino acid to remethylate it into methionine and something called SAMI which is sold as a separate supplement. Methylation has been shown to increase the myelin sheath that surrounds our delicate nerve fibers, which demonstrates one of the reasons TMG supplementation has been reported to elevate mood, alertness, and memory. Methylation is also a key factor behind estrogen metabolism and the proper homeostasis of our androgen hormones, uh, such as testosterone and progesterone. That was just a little excerpt out of my Inner Alchemy Youthening book. Figured that would be easier to read that. And then you have MSM, methane, and then you have methylcobalamin in conjunction with vitamin B9 and other B vitamins, vitamin B12. These are all methyl-donating um, foods and supplements. Okay, wow. We made it. This, I have to say, is probably the most intense episode that I have done so far, the most information intensive. Um, I really hope that you got a lot of value out of this. I know that we went so deep and we covered so much in this episode. So I hope you learned a lot. Don't get overwhelmed by all the information. Piece it together. If you want to go deeper and put the puzzle pieces together, my book, The Inner Alchemy Youthening Program, is a great read. And then my online program, The Holistic Health Mastery Program, is also a great synthesis and lifestyle optimization program for everything and more that we've talked about. So that is the conclusion point for probably the longest episode and the most intense episode, informationally speaking, um, Hormone Mastery 101. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you got a lot of value and we will see you in the next episode. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of High Performance Health. Remember the saying, knowledge is power. Well, knowledge is only power when the knowledge has been applied. So, before you leave, I want to recommend five basic principles that, if done each day, will result in physical vitality, emotional well-being, and increased mental agility, as well as overall resilience to all forms of stress. Number one, take 10 deep diaphragmatic breaths each morning when waking up and each night before sleeping. Number two, remember one liter of high quality structured water each morning before eating. Number three, eat only when hungry. Do not eat too much too fast and bless your food each and every day. Number four, close your eyes. Put your hands on your heart and relax your nervous system. And number five, only use phones when necessary. Keep your back upright when on the computer and shut down screen time in 90 minutes prior to going to bed. There you go, my friend. I hope you take what you learned in this episode and create the life you deserve. You can support this podcast by going to www.hhphealth.com forward slash review to give us a rating and a review. This helps boost us in the iTunes ratings and makes this podcast more visible to more people in the world. You can also join the discussion on our Facebook community group by going to www.hhphealth forward slash group. And finally, you can also check out all of my current coaching programs, courses, books, podcast episodes, and more by going to www.hhphealth.com. Thank you for being part of the health and healing movement. And until next time, make the rest of your life the best of your life. Aloha.